Welcome to the Sheila Kama Strategic Podcast. It's my pleasure today to welcome Joan Carling. Joan Carling is an indigenous activist from the Cordillera region in the Philippines. With more than 20 years of working with indigenous minority groups and on indigenous minority issues from the grassroots to the international level. Her expertise includes human rights, sustainable development, the environment, and climate change. She was Secretary General of the Asia Indigenous Peoples Pact from 2008 to 2016, and was an expert member of the UN Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues from 2014 to 2016. She was awarded the Champion of the Earth Life Achievement Award by the UN Environment in 2018. She is the co-founder and currently the Executive Director of the Indigenous Peoples' Rights International. Joan, welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Uh, thank you, Sheila, for having me as, as your guest. It's much appreciated. So, you know, Joan, we often speak about concepts and issues and we think we understand them, but we really don't. I, I wanted not to take for granted, I know, and that the followers of the Sheila Kamek Strategic Podcast know. Please tell us, uh, what when we say indigenous communities, what are we talking about in the context of, uh, say, human rights? Uh, when we talk of indigenous communities, we are referring to a, a group of people with distinct uh, cultures, including language, uh, spirituality, and also special relations or as reciprocal relations with their lands, territories, and resources, and are often discrimi discriminated and marginalized uh, because of their distinctness. So th that's what we call uh, indigenous uh, communities. And when we relate it to human rights, uh, they are often a victims of human rights violations in relation to the uh, grabbing of their lands and resources, often in the name of national development or economic progress, and and at the same time not getting the basic social services that is provided to everyone, like education, health, employment. So that, that's how we, uh, we look at what, what we call indigenous communities uh, of today. Sure. So uh, when I listen to you, a couple of words um, uh, jump at me. The first is marginalization. The second is uh, the notion of human rights. And then the other is uh, inadequate access to social services. And the third is the notion of national development. I wanted to just follow through on this notion of national development. So if I understand you, the objection is not national development. The objection is that it is done at the expense of these other issues, which is human rights, marginalizing, and lack of social services. Would that be correct? Yes, uh, because the, the way national development is implemented is oriented towards a resource extraction and exploitation 
but largely generating a profit for companies that, that are doing these economic activities at the expense of the people losing their lands, resources, livelihoods, and at the same time, not getting any services. So th 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 that, that's why we call it a, a, a clear case of human rights uh, violations and, and a, a double-edged thing because resources are taken out and yet we also don't get the, the, the fundamental or basic services that everybody deserves. Sure. So let me ask then about the notion of indigenousness. Uh, help me again understand the distinction uh, between um, indigenous people. Is it because of the historic precedence, which is to say people who preceded others, who may be settlers, help me draw the line between a person like myself and you uh, and, and in say indigenous communities in terms of their legacy and their heritage. Yeah, we, we always look at uh, indigenous peoples from a historical perspective. Uh, in, in many uh, parts of the world, they are called the original people or the native to the land, uh, meaning that they are there, as, as, as you say, first before anyone else came. And they, they persisted in spite of colonization or even assimilation, that we maintain our distinct uh, cultural practices, our language, our set of beliefs, our spirituality that sets us aside from others who have agreed to a common economic and political system that is different from what we want to continue. Right, that's interesting. So the, 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 the understanding here is that not only uh, historically do they proceed uh, as owners of the land and occupiers of the land, others, but also that there exists a, a system of government, a system socially of which they, they are not a part because they are not part of the consensus building that resulted in this new system. Am I reading you correctly? Yes, that's right, that we, we maintain our own traditional system of governance and uh and and rules and regulations so what we call the customary uh customary practices that that we have and and we per, we persist and we continue to practice this in spite of all the impositions of what is called the modern uh system as practiced by others sure so you quite rightly recognize that one of the challenges facing indigenous communities is that uh, there is a conflict between their needs uh, over land, spiritually, economically, and socially, and developments, but particularly extractive related infrastructure, but, but other forms. We also, uh, I guess, know that there are also communities now that may not be indigenous, but are found in the same geographic footprint where extraction takes place. In this case, uh, Joan, 
how do we uh, manage the to protect the interests of first the indigenous communities and then uh, the other communities? Or do we then see the indigenous community and other communities as being affected in the same way and addressing their issues in the same way? Uh, no, they were, uh, the, they were not affected the same way. Uh, to begin with, the, the lands and resources are historically managed and governed by indigenous peoples. So they have the prior rights over these lands and resources collectively, meaning as a people, not as individuals. Uh, when others come uh, in, into indigenous uh, territories that are, uh, that are coming from different groups, they are more individuals. They are not, they don't have collective rights as, as entitled to indigenous peoples, but they still have a set of rights uh, as citizens. So they also have property rights, but that is governed by another set of, 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 of rights within, within uh, individual rights. So what we're talking about here is the collective rights of indigenous peoples having prior um, right uh, as a collective over those that are coming in as, as individuals. And in order to operationalize these collective rights over indigenous peoples' lands, territories, and resources, it is required that they give their free prior and informed consent collectively, meaning it's a collective decision on how these resources are going to be used and conserved or managed. So uh, could you explain to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast what you mean by free uh, prior informed consent and why it is such an important tool in protecting the rights of uh, indigenous communities. Yeah, so, so like, like I mentioned, our take of point is the collective rights of indigenous peoples over our lands, territories, and resources uh, uh, as a matter of historical uh, use of, of, of these resources and lands. And it also comes with our right to self-determination. That means we have the right to decide how these resources are going to be used and managed from, uh, from present and to the future. And we do this and, and, we, and the way we manage our resources is it's collectively done. So meaning if anyone wants to make use of these resources, all of us has to participate in decision-making as a collective stand, not as individuals. So uh, if, so it's comparable to say, uh, it's like we own, we are the owners of, a, uh, of, uh, of, we belong to one house, right? And if anyone wants to come in and make use, for example, of, 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 our, of, of our bed or, or, or the toilet, they have to ask permission they cannot just come in and and you know just lie on our bed or they what they just want to come in and take our furnitures uh, they have to ask for our permission to do that sure. so yeah go ahead no i, I was going to say that uh, if i understood you collect 
correctly then, what you're saying is in the absence of uh, consensus by the entire community, then uh, in the case, for instance, of developments of extractive projects or building of roads or other things that uh, essentially encroach uh, in the space otherwise owned by indigenous communities. The assumption is that in the absence of complete consensus, your view would be that that development should not go ahead. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes, but I don't mean that consensus means unanimity. The way we make we build consensus is that we deliberate on different perspectives from the communities until we reach a point that some may say, okay, I may not agree with you, but I will go along the view of the majority. Sure. So um, you we started off with, uh, you know, the importance of protecting human rights, not marginalizing others and making sure that they enjoy uh, the benefits, at least uh, proportionate to what they are you know, relinquishing. When I, uh, I listen to that, then I, I see that while there's a lot of logic and it makes sense from a governance, a social uh, perspective, there's also some risk. I see that there's elements of social risk, there's elements of uh, the importance of social coherence, there's economic parity, and there's also protecting cultural heritage. When you look at all these issues, Joan, is there a hierarchy, is there a pecking order when we engage with, say, uh, developers or the government, or, or is, is the pecking order going to come out of the debate itself? Or do we start with a view that this is the most important thing? I think it will come from the point of view of indigenous peoples on how they regard their well-being in relation to how we manage or how others want to make use of our resources. And it's also uh, from the perspective of in indigenous peoples, the issue of of social equity and upholding uh, our dignity as, as indigenous peoples. Because often we are, we are not even consulted. Somebody will just come in and say, you don't, uh, this land has been, uh, a company would just come in and say, we have the, the, the agreement or the lease uh, to, to, uh, to exploit your land and you don't have any choice. All right, that is already by itself an act of discrimination, an act of, viola uh, of, of violation of our, our rights to be part of any decision making on, on, on the use of our uh, resources. So it's not a matter of hierarchy, no, it's, it's a matter of also uh, uh, respect, uh, non discrimination, uh, and, and uh, understanding what what it means for us if these resources are taken away from us. Sure. So I guess when if we go back to the notion of, uh, you know, prior informed uh, consent, um, would, would, would that consent be sought through, for instance, the process of... Uh, environmental impact assessment studies. Is this at that level that you would seek 
consent or are you suggesting that even before the government engages investors and uh, goes into the stage of the impact assessment socially, there has to be prior consultation. And in other words, at what stage uh, do you feel the indigenous communities must begin to be uh, engaged? Yeah, first of all, it is a reiterative process, right? It's not just a one-off. So be before they even try to, to uh, uh, explore, for example, uh, a mining, community should already be consulted. At the first instance, if they're going to do some exploration activities, there has to already be consent that people are willing that their lands be used for exploration. And then once they go for extraction, that's another la layer because that's another set of activity that may uh, have serious impacts. The point here is that in every step, uh, we need to ensure that indigenous people's rights are respected, that there is participation also in decision-making. I understand. So I think the important point you make there is that it's uh, iterative, that it's not a once-off, because with every stage in this uh, life of a project, there are certain economic, social, and environmental implications. And uh, as this we approach these stages, then it, it naturally becomes important to say, are we still on the same page? Or are there other issues that we could not have foreseen at the original stage, but that we must now uh, take account of. So uh, it seems uh, uh, simplistic, but let me ask you, ultimately, if I were to say, assuming that we are the world is able to comply with these principles and that we respect these principles and that we follow through on them, what when you think about it, when you project forward, what is the ultimate goal uh, and, and the interest that we are seeking to protect? Uh, uh, it, because in the first place, it's, it's an, an outsider, right? Trying to make use of our resources. Because for us, there are already values of these resources that may not be the way things are being valued by others. For example, our lands, we use it uh, for, for our food for our livelihood activities, right? And and for we value, in, in many cases, we value, we put more, more value to that rather than say the gold underneath. And a lot of le our leaders are saying, what, what is there if uh, we cannot eat gold? So, and once you extract that, you destroy the land. That means we will go hungry. So, so let's not assume that we have the same way of valuing things. Indigenous peoples will always value nature on how it links to, to our culture, to our identity, and how to ensure that this is given to, is, is protected for the future generation. That is always our perspective. It's always that we only use what we need now and we must ensure that the future generations will be able to continue the life that we have now. Yeah, this is a very important point, June, that you make because of what you are saying is we mustn't assume 
that the value that uh, modern day, if you wish, governments attach to land and other resources, that the value that mining or oil and gas and, you know, uh, logging companies attach to the forest is not the same. Uh, and, and, and that then, uh, I suggest, uh, I, I suspect, creates a kind of conflict. How do you think this difference in the way that indigenous communities value land and the way that others value, how can we reconcile this? How can we narrow that difference of view so that perhaps we arrive at a stage where we are speaking the same language? Yeah, I, I think one of the of the things what 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 we have learned, for example, in the in the in the uh, study, the World Commission on Dams process uh, of of you know uh, the that that dams in the world has uh, has um, destroyed a lot of, of 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 rivers, right? And it's now and rivers have have to be restored uh, restored. So what what clearly came out there is the first thing that we need to do is to do a needs assessment. Uh, do we need, for example, if we want to get gold, do we need gold, right? Uh, how, wh what do we need it for? When in fact, for example, gold now, 80% is used as dowry and only 20% for in industrial use. And even that, even the one for industrial use is recyclable. You can recycle that, so you don't need to, to to dig more, do more mining for gold, right? So so that is already uh, an important measure. Do we need it? Mm -hmm. One, that's the first. And in case we establish that, okay, we need it. If we need it, for example, if we say we need energy, want to then. What the second option is, what are the options to get that energy or generate that energy? Is the, the second question, what is the best option to do that, right? Uh, is, it, is it dams or is it other, other forms? Or is it, or, or, or for mining now, is it the only way to develop that kind of energy? Or there are other options. We tend to not, think of this because the automatic response is what is the most profitable what is the cost effective but it is measured from a perspective of profit from the perspective of least cost hmm. and not the the destruction that it will cost not the environmental cost and not the social cost we always always put the economic value first more than the environment and social costs of the things we do right yeah. so these are the things that we need to ponder upon to before we proceed is there a need if there is what are the options and how do we measure and how do we evaluate the options in terms of, of its social and environmental impacts on the short term and on a long term Mm. And finally, who actually benefits? Who gets the benefits? Do mm. we do we address the needs of the marginalized, or are we even going to make them worse? 
Yeah, these are very, very profound questions because I think you make a very valid point that uh, we start off with the assumption that the value and the needs are self-evident and yet they are not. It is, it, it, it is uh, because we come from a certain perspective, but if we took a step back and, and thought, is this the right perspective? Is the economic rationale the right perspective? If we could value social norms, if we could value uh, people's heritage and spiritual heritage and put a, a value to it, who knows, we could end up saying, actually the economic value is the least important. But we live in a world in which we think first of the economic value and the potential to make profit. The result of which is that we never ask, to your point, the right questions, but also that as long as it is cost-effective and profitable, we think we've answered all the questions and that's the right direction. And yet sometimes socially and environmentally it is not. But I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think there's a genuine need for us to step back and question a lot of the value we attach to things. Because I think part of why we are where we are as a world is that we are going in this direction, which is potentially counterproductive to our very well-being because we are just not stopping to ask the right question. But I do want to ask you as a last question. The questions you are asking are profound and they are important, but are they uh, indigenous community questions or are they really human questions? I, do, I think they're both. <laughs> Because we are humans in the first place, and we are, we always think of what of the future generation, right? On on the kind of what are we giving, or what are we leaving behind, so that the future generations will also have a life, or will also their their health and well being are also taken care of. That that is always uh, at the back of of, of our minds. When, when we uh, make use or manage our lands and, and resources. So I think uh, the, the, my takeaway then from that is, to your point, is both a human and an indigenous communities question, but it also means that uh, in some way, the voice of the, the indigenous communities is also the voice of everyone else. Because if we ask ourselves these questions and arrive at, we will arrive at a logical conclusion if we are objective. And if we arrive at that logical conclusion, we will probably have an answer for humanity, not just for one community. So for that, I, I think there's, you know, a lot to think about and a lot to learn from the rationale that you have espoused. And so I want to take a moment and thank you very much for joining the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. I've learned a lot and uh, ex expect that uh, some of my followers too will appreciate your comments. Thank you very much, Joey. Uh, thank you as well, Sheila. Thank you for, for this interesting conversation. Thank you.